incredibly good, miraculous healing things. And it's such a joy to have a front row seat to so much of it. And we just honor you. We do give you all glory. We thank you for how you also give us strategy to see more and more of that happen in our life and in the lives of the people we love. So thank you that you fill Ashley with your words, that um, your words pour out of her like a fountain of living water. And um, thank you for the trees and the seeds that will be raised into trees through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can y'all hear me? Am I on? No. No, not yet. What about now? Yes? Hi. How are y'all doing? Um... Thanks, Casey, for for giving me that introduction. I'm going to teach today from a dream that I had a couple of weeks ago, and I've been processing that with the Lord. And um, one question people have a lot is, how do I know if uh, I have a dream from God? So I want to start off uh, sharing a little bit about that work, how that works. And then this talk today, there's so many layers to it, so... I'm hoping that I don't run us too late, and if you feel like you've got to run out, then run out. Um, the dreams from the Lord, I, I always use biblical interpretation for a dream. I mean, the Bible is our navigation system, so I'm not going to the secular world to figure out you know, symbolism in my dream. Dreams are symbolic in nature, meaning they're metaphorical. So um, a dream from God will usually be in color. It will always have hope, and most usually it will have strategy. In other words, if you're dreaming from the Lord and there's color in your dream, uh, even if there's pieces of it that are black and white, and sometimes there's spiritual warfare dreams when there's hope and strategy attached, that's from the Lord. Now, I do believe that the enemy can give us dreams, and those dreams are more on a gray scale. They're black and white. They're, They're void of color. They're void of hope. And I also believe that our souls can be processing at night. You know, like you dream about, I'm running late for the, or I did, there was a test and I didn't study for the test. Or like, I've had dreams where I'm trying to, to call someone on the phone and I can't remember the phone number. You know, like anxiety dreams. So sometimes our souls are just processing. Um, dreams are definitely used in the Bible. In fact, the Lord uh, chose to reveal the birth of Christ through dreams. One-third of your Bible is actually revelations, visions, and dreams. So if you took out dreams, revelations, and visions out of the Bible, you would take away one-third of the scripture that you read. Um, The dream that I'm going to share with y'all, there's a couple of parts to it. So I'm going to share the first part, and then we're going to kind of break it out. But I have this dream that I am in my childhood home. The furniture is rearranged, but I'm in the home, and I'm with many people that I I don't know, but I know we're all together. And all of a sudden, these witches show up. And they're not dressed like a witch. It's something that I know they're a witch on the inside. It's a knowing that I have. They're dressed just like you and I, men and women. And the the witches are discussing. They're also on bikes, which is important, meaning they're not going to get very far, okay? They're not going to get very far unless we help them. They're on bikes, and they're discussing how they're going to take over this house at night. And so I realize at that moment that there is the largest witches' convention ever that's come to town. And so I'm with these people, and and I'm gathering everyone around, and I remember Chris Valentin is with me. Chris Valentin is a prophet, and um, having Chris with me in that dream was validation that this was a spiritual strategy to, to go after something. And so what I'm telling everyone in the house, I begin to go around and I turn the lights on and I'm like, y'all, you have got to leave the lights on. You've got to leave the lights on. So I'm showing them how to turn the light on. So I want to pause right there because I want to break that down. A house in a dream. What would a house represent? It represents us. It represents um, 1 Peter 2.5 says, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. So usually when we dream about a house, it's something to do with us. Now, if a, if a parent was there or a grandparent, it might indicate that it's something generational. But that was not the case. Sometimes when we are dreaming about your childhood home, it might represent that it was an opportunity that the Lord had started when you were younger that he's now bringing back around again. So either one of those, it's, I know that this dream has to do with with me and my house, and, and it has to do with everyone else there, even though I don't know them, their houses. 
So when I uh, start to break down a dream, I one, I figure out the focus. The focus was on me and the other people that I'm with. So what's getting ready to happen is there's getting ready to be an intrusion into the house, meaning that this intrusion is not supposed to be there. there. These people are plotting to break in. When are they plotting to do this? At night. So when it's at night, and, the, and I was breaking this out with the Lord, what it's really meaning is times that we are feeling oppression. We are all susceptible to times of oppression or passivity in our lives, and our walk with the Lord. So at night, meaning the times that we feel weak or when we're getting caught off guard. And who is the type of intruder? It's a witch. And I'm going to explain that in just a second. So when I was asking the Lord about the house, the impression that I had about the house and knowing something about my childhood home is that um, the house I grew up in, and this is not disrespectful, it felt hollow on the inside, meaning it looked really, really good on the outside. It had all the right things. It had all the right components to make it look uh, like a well-off house, but there was the atmosphere was hollow. And so the Lord and I began to break out, what does it mean for us to be hollow on the inside, for our own house. Because as I'm walking through this world, I realize that I'm spirit, I'm soul, and I'm body. I realize that um, the, we are in natural form living in a spiritual world. In other words, the invisible realm is much more real than the visible. Meaning one day this is all going to fade. I'm not going to be here in this body forever. So we are living in natural form in a spiritual world, which means there's things interacting with us all the time, whether or not we're aware of that. That's the whole basis of the Bible. The Lord's trying to say, look, I am the life, the way, and the truth. I'm the way through this spiritual world that you can only see a fraction of. And so um, as the Lord and I begin to unpack what it means to be hollow on the inside, I want to give you a list of things. And it's kind of one of those talks where there's going to be multiple lists, but... When we, become, when we get into a night season or a season where we feel oppressed, one of the first things I believe happens is we become apathetic toward God. We are neither hot, we are neither cold, we are just passive towards the Lord. We don't show any interest or enthusiasm in the things of God. And this can, we become sort of indifferent. I mean, this can happen when you get really in a time when you're really busy and all of a sudden you look up and you realize, wow, I really... Don't really have any a passion for the Lord. I've been really disconnected. The second thing uh, when we're having that hollowness is when we have to have our way. I don't know if any of y'all struggle with control. Anybody struggle with control? Or, yeah, we all, everybody, we all struggle with control. The second thing is, is when we have to have our way, we are actually leaving the door open for oppression to come into our life because we're not willing to partner with God in the details, because the outcome has to go our way. The third thing is, is when we're not plugged into his word or his heart. The same thing is sort of feeling that indifference, that, that apathy toward the Lord. The fourth thing is that you're not finding your security in Christ, but elsewhere. And that can be, um, sometimes we find security in a person. Maybe it's in a situation. Maybe we find security in a facade that we are using to portray to everyone else. So when we are finding our, what I would call a life source in, a, in another person or another thing or a place and not Jesus Christ, this leaves us open for oppression. The fifth thing is we indulge on a diet of pleasure versus a God-centered purpose. In other words, if we are spending more time um, making sure that we are, are pleasure-centered, like we're not feeling pain, so in other words, we're self-rewarding, we're self-numbing, we're checking out, um, we're more focused on keeping ourselves pleasure-centered than we are on what is God's purpose, what is God doing in this moment. And, and the way you can sort of figure that out is look at how you're spending your time. It, um, that, that'll sort of give you an understanding to where your affections are. The sixth thing is harboring resentment or bitterness or unforgiveness. Seven is maintaining a victim mindset. In other words, you know, everything bad happens to me. Everyone's so mean to me. Why is this happening to me? That's sort of that victim mentality that I can't overcome whatever it is I'm going through. Uh, number eight is, is times that we endure physical illness for an exterior, extended period of time. 
physical illness um, is out of our control, but it is mentally exhausting at the same time. It's physically exhausting. So that can be where we might have a, a, a time of feeling oppressed by the enemy. Number nine is being fear-based. If we're always worry and fretful, then we're, we're always partnering with worry and fret. And number 10 is going through trauma, which is kind of what Deborah was hitting on earlier, if you want, you know, here, talking about the trauma prayer. Um, what's really important to know is that a spirit of oppression, it comes in through to aggravate your soul and not your spirit. If you are a Christian, then you have received the Holy Spirit and you can never be possessed, but you can be oppressed. And so what I think is actually really freeing is to know that sometimes when we just feel dull and oppressed or indifferent, it's not really us. It's something else trying to come and cause static or friction or a barrier between us and the Lord. And when I learned that, it was so freeing to be like, wow, there's nothing wrong with me. This is stuff that's coming at me, and I just never knew how to look at it like this. Um, because your spirit is always craving more of the Lord. It's your soul that gets really wonky. Um, so the, the key piece of this whole situation besides the house is that the people that are coming are witches. And so what I want to do, and I don't want to lose you here, but I'm going to talk about witchcraft. And I want to bring to your awareness what it is and why was God giving me this dream about witches. Um, the church really doesn't do a good job talking about it because when we think of witches, all we think about are people that are cursing and using psychic techniques to control other people's minds or lives. And while that is true, there's another side to witchcraft, which is psychological pressure. So witchcraft um, is the, what they call the power branch of the occult. The word occult, the Latin root um, of that means hidden or covered over. And so um, witchcraft is basically used to control other people. 1 Samuel 15, 23 describes it, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It is our, the heart of witchcraft is our rebellion to get our way and not God's way. See, most people would think, well, oh my gosh, witchcraft, that has nothing to do with me. Yes, are you using psychological pressure? The other word for that would be manipulation to get your way. Manipulation is witchcraft. I believe God is in a season right now where he wants manipulation exposed. He wants it out of the church because it is a form of rebellion. And what happens is it hinders us from stepping into our full authority that God wants to give us. Power is a gift. Authority is given, is earned. Meaning, in other words, God, um, Luke ten nineteen, Jesus says, Behold, I give you power and authority over, over the power of the enemy. Power will be given to us. Authority is something that we have to earn through the stewardship of our character and how much we are submitted to the Lord. Which, which means that I can grow in authority every single year, day, week of my life. That will be something that I will always be growing in the Lord with. The one thing that is going to come and destroy that and kill that is manipulation, which the Bible sees as witchcraft. So <clears throat> the mission of witchcraft is to control people or circumstances. The way this is done is to manipulate, intimidate so that they can dominate. That's exactly what happens at the level of our soul. So I love what Rick Joyner, who is a, a modern-day prophet, um, he, described, he described witchcraft in this way because I think as a church we're so quick to just shut that word out of our vocabulary because we think Salem, we think crazy, we think that's not us. And yes, there is that side that there are people that are witches and warlocks, and that does happen. In fact, I remember years ago uh, praying with a witch that, you know, uh, heavily into a coven here in San Antonio and leading her to Jesus Christ. So that does happen. I don't want you to think that that's not, but that's not the focus of what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about the psychological pressure manipulation. So Rick says it like this. Witchcraft is a counterfeit spiritual authority. It is using a spirit other than the Holy Spirit to dominate, manipulate, or control others. 
any authority or influence that we gain by our own manipulation or self-promotion will be a stumbling block to us and will hinder our ability to receive true authority from God. I don't know anybody that has never used manipulation. So let's just be really honest right now. I don't know anyone that has never, our culture is so thick with it that we are not even aware that it's happening. And I love the fact that God really wants us to become aware of that. And we're going to break it down in just a second. But when we choose manipulations as a means of operation, we are opening ourselves up to witchcraft, which is to have a heart of rebellion towards the Lord. Whether we manipulate others or we allow ourselves to be manipulated. See, we think, well, you know, it's just about if I'm not a manipulator. Yet, but on the other side of that could be you allowing yourself to be manipulated. We see it as harmless and petty, but it's not. I think what's so interesting in our society is that you can turn on the news and you're being manipulated. You can watch television and you're being manipulated. You Advertising. It's all about manipulation. You're never going to get that stain out if you don't have this. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, I've I've got to get this. Oh my gosh. You know, social media, it's all about manipulating. Oh my gosh, everybody went to Mexico for spring break. And we did, I mean, I get this with my kids all the time. Oh my gosh, so boring. Like everyone's having the time of their life. And it's all about manipulation. All of it. You know, the, even the shows that are, are teen, I mean, any show that you can honestly turn on, it's all about manipulation. It's all about to, to kind of peck away at your soul so that you ha- live with this dissatisfaction of, okay, I've got to make things better by controlling other things, and I can control by doing this, this, and that, or control others. So when we start to pay attention and we realize how prevalent it is around us, Um, and that is the chosen mode of operation in our culture, we're going to be able to completely dismantle this. So I wrote this down. I thought this is so true from the Holy Spirit. You know, um, manipulation doesn't mean that I can't quote scripture, that that I can't go to church, that I can't sing or go to Bible study. What it really means is I can look obedient on the outside, but on the inside, I am not submitted to God. And I will still rely on my own means of manipulation to get my way. So here's how to recognize manipulation. I'm going to give you about eight to ten things because I think it's one of those um, crafty external pressures that we really have to break it out. This is what manipulation sounds like, either coming from you or coming at you. The first thing is um, you give people an ultimatum. Or someone gives you an ultimatum. Well, if you do that, then I'm going to do this. That's what an ultimatum sounds like. And then the other person's like, uh, okay. Second is you cry to get your way. Or, or someone uses tears against you. How many people have kids that cry when they don't get their way? You go to Target, they don't get what they want, they start crying. It's, kids learn really early on how to manipulate. And every time we give in to their tears... We're teaching them that manipulation works. We're teaching them, yeah, you know what, just manipulate, get your way. We're giving them an operational system that is rebellion. It's rebellious towards just the authority of mom and dad and the authority of God. Number three is the silent treatment. You get mad at somebody, you give them the silent treatment. That's different from saying, I need some space, let me just give me some time. That lets somebody know where you are. But when you just decide to, you know what, ignore, give somebody the silent treatment or somebody does that to you, that's manipulation. Because you're trying to get your way by shutting them out and leaving them confused. Mm -hmm. Number four, you play the victim or the other person plays the victim. Number five, you make others walk on eggshells around you or you have to walk on eggshells around someone else. In other words... Uh, the person that you're having to walk on eggshells around is unpredictable. You never know what you're going to get when they come through the door at the end of the day. Are they going to be happy? Are they going to be mad? So there's always this um, hypervigilance that you live with. Number six is you guilt other people. Or people guilt you. Like, well, I mean, that's fine if you want to go do that. I mean, I'll just be all alone, but that's okay. Go ahead. (laughs) Or like, you know, my son 
I guess it was in January. There's some uh, concert that, ca- that came to San Antonio called uh, Ma Luna. Do you know what I'm talking about? And first of all, I'm like, okay, anything named Ma Luna is going to raise a red flag in me. It means bad mood. So I'm going to go. And he was like, Mom, like, everybody's going. Like, all my friends are going. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just, number one, I don't like the name. Who's performing? And then show me their lyrics. And then I want you to sign at the bottom of the lyrics and let me know, do you agree with the things that they're saying? Because, Mom, this is, like, so ridiculous. Like, you're being so ridiculous. Okay? So he's, you know, main, he's just tell, totally guilty me. And I just finally, I said, Richard, I was like, I'm not raising everybody else. I'm raising you. And my answer is no. Um, that's how you make people feel guilty. Number seven, people skew facts or you're skewing the facts to sway another person's opinion. Um, the other word for that would be gossip. Number eight, people twist your words or you twist the words that other people have shared with you to either cast a bad light or cast doubt. And number nine is you're around certain people that just have a way of sucking the life out of you. You feel drained. In other words, have you ever had that friend where you just, or that person in your life where you're together and you just feel exhausted after you've been with them? It's because they operate in a high level of manipulation. Or you suck the life out of others because you want what they have or you don't want them to be happy. You want them to be in the pit with you, whatever it is. Um, All of those are psychological pressures that we would consider as manipulation. So I want to give you some Bible verses to help you identify manipulation, to protect yourself from it, to be aware of it, and to remind yourself that it's not the operating system of the Lord. Um, God is really calling us out to resist it, to not use it. And this includes gossip. This includes just sitting around and gossiping about other people. Um, He also does not want us to come under it. So the first verse I'm going to give you is Romans 16, verses 17 and 18. And it reads like this. This is Paul writing his letter to the Romans. He says, I urge you, sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. Proverbs 21.6 says, A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Proverbs 21.6. Leviticus 25.17 says, Do not take advantage of each other, but fear your God. By fear, uh, the word fear, I want to I uh, elaborate on that for a moment. It means high reverence. It doesn't mean be afraid of God. People, you know, like my kids are like, oh, why does it say to fear God? It's not fearing him in the sense that I'm afraid. It's I have so much reverence for the Lord that I would never, ever want to do anything uh, to cause harm to him or his name. 2 Timothy 2.16 says, avoid godless chatter. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. And Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, which is pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. The power of life and death is in our tongue, Proverbs 18, 21. So now that we know what witchcraft looks like, because I believe the Lord is, is showing us that this um, manipulation has become so insidious in our culture, in our church, among our friend groups, among our communities, among, in our own homes. Then he gives a strategy of how are we supposed to deal with that? Do you remember what happened? That we're leaving the light on. I'm going around, I'm saying, you've got to leave the light on. So who's leaving the light on? We are. And what do you think the light would represent? The light of Christ. Matthew 5 says, let your light shine before men. And where is the light shining? Remember where the light was shining? Inside of us, in our houses. And when was it going to be shining? All the time. 
You have to leave the light on all the time. When is it shining inside of us, the light of Christ? <coughs> what was interesting was I recognized that the, life, the light was self-sustaining. Once I turned it on, it was self-sustaining, meaning I didn't have to keep blowing on it. It stayed on because the more I allow it to turn on, the Holy Spirit in me increases. So our spirit man sits sort of like a limp glove. We all have a spirit man that sits just like this until we receive the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes and blows and fills up our spirit man. And so what, as we journey through life, our whole purpose is to grow our spirit man more and more so that our soul will come under the authority of our spirit man. God speaks to us through our spirit man. That is where, that's what we're looking to grow when we're talking about leaving the light on. And the scripture I want to lead you to is Luke 15. I want to read this. This is a parable that Jesus is sharing. And you may have read this and thought, oh, well, this is about the lost. But the Lord showed me a whole nother level of this because it's, there's a, a metaphorical layer to this. Um, what happens in our life every single day, we are giving away pieces of ourselves and we don't even realize it. We are completely unaware because by the end of the day, we are exhausted, overwhelmed. We feel scattered or we feel fragile and we don't know how to protect our house. And when the Lord showed me the scripture, I went, okay, this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. If we're, and if we're partnering with manipulation, we're lost. You know, we think the lost are people that don't know Jesus, but if we are partnering with manipulation, we are lost. I, ha- I heard a really interesting statistic the other day, um, several years ago, Judith McNutt, uh, she and her husband Francis were the pioneers, leading pioneers of bringing the healing ministry back into the church. And, and they were saying that only about 30% of the church is transformed. Meaning only about 30% of Christians have allowed themselves to go through the process with God, have allowed themselves to really be cleansed and made whole and and embraced the new man and and worked through the inner healing or the physical or whatever it is that they needed. Only 30% of the church was living that way. And I feel like the Lord's saying, okay, it's, it's time for us to really be able to walk into the transformation of what he wants to do for us. So Luke 15, I'm going to read it out loud if you're not there. Uh, verse 8 says, Jesus is saying, he's, he's uh, talking to the crowd. He says, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What caught my eye is that the first thing that this woman does is she lights the lamp. This, y'all, is really a parable on how we carry ourselves, how we are going to posture ourselves Every single day that we are intentional about setting the atmosphere around us or we are intentional about being the light in an atmosphere outside of us, meaning the, the practical way to uh, set that atmosphere, which we've talked about before, is things like putting worship on in your home or the Bible app on your phone nowadays, you can just have it being read out loud. Being intentional about setting that atmosphere uh, in your own home, and I'm talking about your practical own home, but it, all it is doing is it's building your spirit man. It's, it's, you're leaving that light on. Um, <clears throat> and this is the feeling that God always talks about. You know, if I went into my house and I removed my living room furniture, I would want to fill it with something. So when we don't fill ourselves with uh, the word of God, with worship, with things of the Lord, something else is going to come in and move in to fill that space. So when we become very intentional about lighting our lamps, filling ourselves, receiving more of the Holy Spirit, then um, we're able to stay grounded in God, whatever comes our way. And to know that the word of God is going to take care of us. I think that's one of those things that we just pass off and we don't think about deeply is that the word of God is going to take care of you. Whether you feel 
that way or not. I mean, your feelings are not always your friend. Your feelings are not always a projection of the truth. The feelings, you know, go up and down and circle all around. And depending on times of the month or days of the week or whatever it is. So when we are able to understand that the word of God will take care of us, we can flood ourselves and our, our house with his words and it works on our behalf. The second thing she did was she swept her house. She cleaned up her house, meaning, you know, we pick up spiritual pollution every single day. We don't know it. We're not aware of it, but we pick up spiritual toxins every single day. And one of the things that I learned early on when I trained here in 2008 in prayer ministry through Judith and Francis McNutt was this spiritual principle about cutting free. And I'm going to teach y'all a prayer here, but I, in just a second, cutting free has been one of the most important spiritual practices that I put into my life every single day, if not multiple times a day. When I feel like, um, let's say I go to the grocery store and I'm feeling absolutely fine and normal and then I leave there just feeling irritated and angry and nothing's really happened. I'm like, okay, wait, Lord, is this me or is this something I picked up? And I, I will cut free. Or maybe I've been uh, somewhere with some friends or whatever and I, I'm leaving. I'll just cut free. I don't want to take anything on. I don't want to be like, you know, when you pull stuff out and you haven't used the dryer sheet and everything's clinging together. I don't want a bunch of stuff clinging to me because what I realize is that that's why we feel exhausted and overwhelmed and confused or scattered is because we don't understand the principle of cutting free. And so the prayer goes like this. It's very simple. I say it. In fact, when I leave here today, every single week I cut free. It says, Jesus, if anything has attached itself to me that is not of you, I ask that you cleanse me of it right now with your precious blood. Send me out in refreshing and protection in your name. It's very simple. It takes, what, maybe 30 seconds? Um, even, to, even times when I've had interactions with my kids or my husband and I just don't, it, it wasn't a peaceful interaction, I will cut free. At night going to bed, I cut free. Um, <clears throat> the third thing the woman did was she searched carefully. I love this because I felt like the Lord saying, always position yourself to be in search of him. Not in search of an outcome, not in search of controlling other people or the way other people think or the things you think other people should do, but always be in search of him. This is a posture that we can choose. Do I want my way or do I want Jesus? I think one of the things that's uh, becoming more and more of a challenge is with technology moving us more towards isolation. We... Um, we are not coming into community as often as we should. And so uh, we're really missing out on the fourth thing that she did, which is she gathered all her friends and she rejoiced. She was in community. So I, I think you can look at that parable and be like, wow, this is how we're leaving the light on. You know, this is how we're going we're gonna to do this. And then the fifth thing that Jesus says, he talks about repentance. And repentance really means redirection. It's not... Um, you did bad, you should feel guilty. Jesus did not manipulate. He empowered people. He taught them how to overcome. And so the way that he did that was talking about repentance, meaning once we realize we have partnered or agreed with manipulation or witchcraft, we are invited into repentance. And we're going to do that at the end of the talk here. So it sounds something like this, and I'll lead you through the prayer at the end, asking God to forgive you for coming under the false authority or using it. And you're forgiving yourself and you're asking him to cleanse you and you're asking him to fill you. The filling of our house. Remember, when we remove something, we want to give God the permission to fill us. Um, I kind of think of the Holy Spirit as like an interior decorator. You know, I want him to put all the good things of God inside of me so that my spirit man can continue to grow. And the one thing that I think uh, the Lord is, is indicating to us in this dream, that, that the one thing that can come and completely stop that is witchcraft, is manipulation. 1 Timothy 4, 7, Paul's telling Timothy, train yourself to be godly. 
See, this is not something that when we're born into this earth, it's not natural for us to understand how to train ourselves to be godly unless we've grown up in a, uh, a godly home. But even sometimes that can feel more religious than freeing. But the Lord is reminding us it is our responsibility as Christians to train ourselves to be godly, to be submitting to him and not worrying so much about how I can control everybody out there, control myself, control my kids, control my husband. Um, This is what we're called to put into practice every single day. So second part of the dream, and and I know I'll go faster, involved the strategy, which I thought was so fascinating. So at this point, the second part of the dream, I've moved into a public location and, and I'm telling everybody, I'm like, look, we, anyone that wants to get trained, anybody that wants to get equipped to handle this onslaught of witchcraft that is coming into the city at this point. And um, as I'm doing all this, the, the witches are just, they're pouring in, they're, they're wrecking cars, they're driving through houses and like, you know, houses are, are getting blown up. And, um, but the people that are being trained and equipped are, are wearing safety vests. You know, those safety vests, vests that illuminate at night, they're fluorescent. So in the dream, the Lord's saying, anyone who wants to get trained can. And and how are we going to do this? We're going to equip everybody, and it's going to happen out in public. We're going to be able to take this out in public. And and even though it's happening at night during the the onslaught, during the takeover time, the people that are wearing the illuminated vest are the ones, the security. They're the security off. Those are the ones you're going to look for. So the Lord is showing us how to keep our light illuminated at night. And here is exactly what he said in the dream. This is exactly what he said and how to do this so that we can live above and destroy the witchcraft manipulation in our day. He said, one, speak blessing over them. He said, two, release the presence of God. Three, do not engage. So I want to go back to speak blessing. Romans 12, 14 specifically says, Paul says, bless those that persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The way that you, blessing and then releasing the presence of God, by the way, go hand in hand. But the way that you bless someone is a very simple, uh, it sounds something very similar to this. Lord, right now I just bless them to know their identity in Jesus Christ. I bless them for every place they feel they are lacking in their life, Lord, that you would just flood them with your love and your light. And then from that place, you can begin to release the presence of God. And I thought it was very important that the Lord was very clear on the third point was do not engage. Do not engage in hand-to-hand combat. Because I'm, I'm waging war from a very different level. I'm not down on their level. I'm partnering with God. I remember <clears throat> very specifically um, about two years ago, our daughter was a junior in high school, and she was involved in a car accident where she and a man collided, and they, they T-boned at an intersection. And so, you know, we go down there, and we get a call from, from her friends that were with her. We go down there, and we're checking on her and the man. He had a, you know, a cut and a cut on his arm, and so then he goes away in the ambulance, and they're checking our daughter and blah, blah, blah. Well, ends up that um, he hires Thomas J. Henry to sue us. <coughs> And so what's going to happen is they are, and they're going to see my husband and Georgia. And so we get all this stuff. And so they are, Georgia and my husband and I and our lawyer that's from the insurance, we are having to go to the Thomas J. Henry Law Offices to get his deposition. And then they are going to take her deposition. And so so I'm going to show you how this works. So we are walking in the parking lot. Our lawyer, we've just met him maybe once before, so we're meeting him again. And we're in the parking lot, and I said, Mark, I was like, are are you a Christian? He goes, I I mean, what do you mean? (laughs) And I said, well, I mean, do you believe in Jesus? He's like, yeah, 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 whatever. I said, Mark, we're going to pray. I said, because I believe in the power of God, and we're going to set the atmosphere before we walk in here, because we're getting ready to walk into the enemy's camp, period. And he's like, okay, okay. And so, you know, we all pray, and he's told us, he said, don't say anything in the bathroom, everything's wired, everything's wired in that office, the bathrooms, everything, just don't say one thing. So we go into the offices, and you know, I've got, Georgia is, I think she is at this point a senior, this is like maybe six or eight months later in the accident. You know, she's so vulnerable, I mean, she's so scared, she feels so bad, this has become this huge thing, the man's fine, but you know, you know how this works. And so we get in there, and 
you know, their deal is to put you in there and make you sort of marinate in their their stuff, and they don't walk in until the last minute, you know, and try to intimidate you. Remember, what is manip- how does it work? Yeah. Intimidation, manipulation to dominate. So I just began to walk around the room and just release the presence of God, which is just like this. Lord, I just praise you right now. I just thank you, Father God, that you are with me. I thank you that your angels are camping around us. I thank you right now, God, that we just hide in the shadow of your wings. I mean, I just walked that room, and, and there wasn't one chair I didn't touch. There wasn't one corner that I didn't touch, and... um we go through the whole day of depositions, and, you know, for, for Georgia's, they're, they're going to film her, and they set up these cameras, and, and at the end of the day, Mark, uh, our lawyer, goes, that could not have gone, like, any better in our favor. He goes, I have never seen, because what happened was the guy, the lawyer that was going to uh, interrogate Georgia in her deposition, which is being filmed, because, you know, they say they're going to show this in court, the confusion that came on him, like he couldn't remember his questions. He, it was, it was, I was going, oh my God, this is God. This is God. This is God. And I said to Mark, I was like, that is God. And he goes, I don't know what it was. He goes, I don't know what it was. He goes, I, I'm going to tell you, I've never seen that happen before. I was like, that is the presence of God, Mark. I tell you what. Anyway, my point is, this is how it works. You know, we weren't going in and, and cussing out all of that. It was hard. This was a three-year journey. This was so, this was exhausting, but we blessed, we blessed the man. Now my husband was like, honey, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to bless anybody. I'm, no, I'm, I'm pissed off, and uh, this is a bunch of, you know what, and uh, if you feel like that works, then you go ahead, but I, I'm sorry, I just, I cannot go. So I was like, then I will say it for all of us, because of course I'm hurt, and I'm sad for her, but... Finally, it all ended. We never went to court. I mean, blah, blah, blah. But the point is, the blessing, releasing the presence of God, and not engaging on that level, the Lord said, will render them ineffective. Yes, yes. And that is exactly what Romans twelve twenty one says. Do not be overcome by evil, but, be, but overcome evil with good. It is easy to be drawn into temptation through our words to control other people, but we unknowingly become slaves to the author of temptation which is the enemy, and then he can move in and influence our lives. So by moving in blessings, we actually release the ministry of Jesus Christ to help us and to meet our need. Hebrews 10.21 says, we have a great priest over the house of God. You are the house of God. Every single one of us is the house of God. In verse 23, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In other words, We don't have to waver about this. We get to move into blessing. We get to release the presence of God. And it's as quick as, Lord, I I forgive this person for whatever it is. And I bless them with every single thing they think they don't have. And I bless them so much that the manipulation and the control coming out of their life literally dissolves at the feet of Jesus Christ. Psalm 104 says, we will enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him and praise his name. That's how you release the presence of God. You begin to praise God, not for the circumstance, not like, oh, God, well, thank you so much for letting us go through this lawsuit. No, it was, Lord, I praise you. I praise you. And I just begin all to list all the amazing things of the Lord. And I just begin to thank him. That's how you release the presence of God. You don't always have to do it out loud. It's just you're aware that. Wherever I go, I have this opportunity to release his presence. What we're doing in the spirit at that moment is no match for the enemy. It's just like Deborah always says, that the enemy doesn't have any answer for our worship. Praise and thanksgiving releases God's presence, to, which brings and causes supernatural intervention on our behalf and those around us. Psalm 50.23 says, He who sacrifices think offerings honors me, and he prepares the way so that I may show him the salvation of God. Our praise and thanksgiving, they are a sacrifice to God, especially when we are in adversity. He know, That's our sacrifice. And, and when we are oppressed or we're afraid or we're encountering darkness or sickness, whatever it is, when we begin to move in praise and thanksgiving towards God for who he is, for his greatness, his sovereignty, his majesty, we then create this uh, runway in the spiritual for him to land his miracles and his wonders in our life. 
The result of all of this at the end of the dream was that they were rendered absolutely ineffective. If I looked to control them, then I'm using the same uh, operation that they are. All of this was done from a place of feeling very light and happy and joyous. The dream did not feel heavy. The dream was I, I woke up and went, wow, God, this is amazing. Like we, he really wants us to take a hold of this strategy and use it, not just hear it and be like, wow, okay, that was a good word, but put it into place in our life. So in the last 10 minutes, I want to lead y'all through just a little bit of um, activation of hearing from the Lord and then helping us come out from under the false authority of manipulation. So the first question I want you to ask is, Jesus, have I used manipulation to control others or have I submitted to the false authority of manipulation? And if you hear a yes, then I want you to walk with me and I want you to repeat if you're willing. Jesus, I confess that I partnered and agreed with manipulation in order to get my way or to give someone their way. I now realize this is rebellion towards you. Please forgive me and I forgive myself. Wash me and cleanse me from all of that unrighteousness. Fill me with your truth. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me how to submit to Jesus and move in kingdom authority. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's ask him these questions. If you have a piece of paper, you might want to write down the answer. Jesus, show me a situation or area in my life where I have believed I have to have my way. Jesus, show me an area or situation in my life where I believe I have to have my way or it's just not going to go well for me. And then I want you to ask him, Jesus, what's your truth about this situation? So we're asking him to show you a situation or an area in your life where where you believed you have to have it go your way or it's not going to go well. And then we want to ask him, Jesus, what is your truth about this particular situation you showed me? And Jesus, what does your way sound like? Jesus, what words do you want to give me to use in this situation? Because he'll want to give you a new language. He's going to want to give you new words for this one situation. If we're willing to let go, letting go of having to have it our way, and we're just wanting him, then he's going to give you new words, new vision for this situation. So Jesus, what is your truth about the situation? And Jesus, what does your way sound like? And Jesus, what words do you want me to use in this situation? The beautiful thing is you now have a choice because he's shown you the situation where you're feeling like you have to control it and now he's giving you his truth, which is the other side of it. So you get to choose which one do I want to use? Which one do I want to listen to? Do I want to listen to Jesus? You know, I think it's so important that um, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that the Lord can do so much more than we could ever ask or imagine. You know, we think it's got to work out this way and look like this. And he he has such a bigger vision, such a better vision for how things get to unfold in our life. And the only way that he gets to release that blessing on us is when we are willing to bless and release his presence and not use manipulation to control. It's so easy to plug into it, but now we know how to unplug from it. 
So I want to close this by reading again Psalm 138 in a different translation, and then I'm going to pray over you. And if you'd like prayer after, Casey and I are here to pray. Psalm 138 in the message translation says, Thank you. Everything in me says thank you. Angels listen as I sing my thanks. I kneel and worship facing your holy temple, and I say it again, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Most holy is your name. Most holy is your word. The moment I called out, you stepped in. You made my life large with strength. When they hear what you have to say, God, all earth's kings will say thank you. They'll sing of what you've done. How great the glory of God. And here's why. God, high above, sees far below, no matter the distance. He knows everything about us. And when I walk into the thick of trouble... Keep me alive in the angry turmoil. With one hand, strike my foes. With your other hand, save me. Finish what you started in me, God. Your love is eternal. Don't quit on me now. So, Father God, I just thank you so much for giving us specific strategy, Lord, how to walk out of rebellion, how to disconnect from that um, illegal communication that's taken place in our life. And Lord, I even ask that you would reach back into the generations that went before us and you would even remove it from that, Father God. I I thank you that the blessings that are going ahead of us for our children and our grandchildren, I thank you that today when we make an agreement that we want to live submitted to you, that we want to follow you, that we don't have to have our way, that you are the way and the truth and the life, I thank you that You right now are unleashing blessing upon blessing upon blessing, not only for us, but for our children and our children's children and our children's children. I thank you, Father God, that we are choosing to stand as women of faith in this moment in time. I thank you specifically that you ordained each and every one of us to live right now in this generation on this family lineage. I thank you, Father God, that we get to change the spiritual course of our family history today when we remove this rebellion from every single part of our life, Father God. We thank you for your great mercy. We thank you for your for incredible grace. And I ask, Lord, that you would send each and every one of these women out with such incredible illumination that they would leave here actually feeling light I thank you that their spiritual awareness has just been turned up so many notches that they are going to catch those little foxes and they are going to be able to hear it and see it and say, I don't want any part of that. I thank you, Father God, that the conversation of, of gossip and manipulation is that, is that has changed and that has moved on. That we want to be women who are worthy of respect in our words and in our ways. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Those great two things. Um, if you missed the announcement about trauma prayer this this Friday at noon, come five minutes early. You get to receive Deb.